Hello, and welcome back to the Tricky Notes podcast. This is your host, Trick, and I am back to you this week with a historical notes episode. And this historical notes episode is a little bit special because it will be mixed with an artist spotlight because I am going to be talking about the woman who changed how the music industry operates. And this is a woman who may not be a household name for most people, um, but if you are a club goer, or if you were alive in the 80s or went to clubs in the 90s, you have heard this woman's voice. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, and I'm talking about Martha Wash. And Martha Wash has a very distinctive voice, a very unique voice. No one sings like her, in my opinion. And I believe that's an opinion held by most. Um, But Martha Wash really changed how the industry operates. In fact, even inspired federal legislation because of what happened to her. So... So let's just get into it. So before we get into um, what happened with Martha, let's talk about Martha herself. Um, so Martha Wash was was born December 28, 1953 uh, in San Francisco, California. Um, she grew up in a, in a very strictly religious household. Um, you know, her parents are very devout Christians. Um, but you know, she grew up singing. She started singing at three years old. Um, really, uh, you know, really imitating gospel greats like Mahalia Jackson and Clara Ward and then every now and then, you know, once Motown hit, she'd get some, you know, su- Supremes and Temptations, um, you know, and and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, Martha really took to singing. That became one of her passions. And it really became one of the f- few refuges she had in her life from being bullied Um, because Martha, even from a young age was a larger girl. Um, You know, she has always been a, a woman of size, um, but she is absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) Don't get me wrong at all. When I talk about that, it's just a fact. She's always been a, a large woman, large girl, large woman, depending on her, <laughs> her time in life. Um, but she was, she was bullied a lot because of her weight as a child. But, you know, but when she sang, they didn't say anything to her because she could sing. And, you know, and then after, um, you know, she actually started taking lessons from an opera teacher for a while. And then, then, you know, took 
what she learned from the opera singing to mixing with her gospel and then from her inspiration from you know rock and funk and everything and really developed her own unique style of singing and and it's really really a huge thing so um so you know martha wash uh she um you know sang a lot in church but she also a um graduated from san francisco polytechnic high school and she sang in the school choir there and there was um a time when she was you know um while she was still in high school her choir um was very well uh, known in the area um, they actually recorded four albums <laughs> as a school choir in the, you know, in the, in the seventies, which, you know, that's, you know, pretty, or, um, uh, probably sixties and seventies, um, which is a kind of a, a big deal, but, um, they also toured Europe with her high school. So, you know, but when she left, when she graduated high school, she actually started a gospel group uh, called Now, which stands for News of the World, and um, and part of that group was also her friend Isora Rhodes. Um, you know, so that's just kind of that kind of takes her up to right around when she left high school and. Um, you know, kind of was doing her own thing. So around this time, Martha Walsh was working as a secretary for a hospital, but also doing, you know, music gigs here and there. And, um, but around this time she attended a concert, uh, for Billy Preston and Billy Preston, you know, classic funk and soul musician, you know, really great guy. And this is 1974. Uh, she went to that concert, but it wasn't Billy Preston that stuck with her. It was the opening act. Um, because the opening act at that concert was Sylvester. Now I've talked about Sylvester before on this podcast. He was, uh, featured in, um, an early episode I did about artists who died of AIDS, um, that, you know, I, wanted to give some more shine to and um you know but sylvester you know at that time in 1974 he really hadn't gotten into his disco thing he was still really working in the kind of the funk space and but he had this really even back then he still sang with that high falsetto and really had this this flamboyant stage presence um so it really kind of stuck with her. So later on, two years later, you know, Martha had a chance to audition to be one of Sylvester's background singers. And I'm just going to quote Martha Wash here because the story is just, um, you know, so this is, this is actually Martha's uh, recollection. The entire audition lasted five minutes. There were two skinny white girls that auditioned for him a few minutes before I walked in, I sang a gospel song for him. And he tells the other two girls to leave and says, okay, I'd like to hire you. 
Do you know someone that is larger than you can, that can sing? So, of course, Martha did. <laughs> she did. Um, she was already singing with one in the gospel group that she was singing with. Um, you know, now and that I already mentioned, and that was Isora, Isora Rhodes. So she called her and Martha and Isora became Sylvester's background vocalists. And shortly thereafter, you know, Sylvester kind of dubbed them two tons of fun because two large black women. And after that, you know, they, they started, you know, performing together. They started recording together. And, you know, both, you know, Martha and Isora uh, appeared on two of Sylvester's biggest hits, um, both that went number one on the dance charts and both were top 40 billboard hits. Um, you know, uh, the first one being, you know, dance disco heat and the other one being, um, the classic, you make me feel mighty real. Um, you know, so already, you know, they, their, their big vocals, um, both Marsha and Isora, um, were getting recognized, um, especially, you know, in that, in that, you know, disco era, you know, it was 1978 that those songs came out. And after that, um, you know, they, they actually released a couple albums on their own as two tons of fun, um, you know, and had a couple big dance hits that went to number two on the charts, which is really, really impressive for, um, you know, a, a group, at that time, especially a group that was, let's be honest, two large black women. Um, you know, that just wasn't seen in the industry and it definitely wasn't seen in the disco era. You know, a lot of, you know, you had a lot of great black singers at the time, but they tended to be more of your, you know, slender, you know, um, ones the not ones that were big and beautiful, like, like Martha and Azora. So after they recorded their, you know, first couple albums, uh, they realized that they actually couldn't use the name Two Tons of Fun because there was already a group out there, uh, f- you know, that had been using the name since the 1950s. Um, so they they started going by the Two Tons for a little bit until they were. Well, let's just go say they. Um, had a song kind of fall in their lap. So in, there was a, there was a song that was, um, written by Paul Jabrara and Paul Schaefer, uh, back in 1979. Um, Paul Jabrara had written, uh, huge hit for Donna Summer um, called Last Dance. And, you know, he had actually re- written a new song for, uh, for you know, Donna Summer, um, but she turned it down. Um, then they, that song was offered to, um, after that to Diana Ross, who turned it down. Then Cher turned it down. Then Barbara Streisand turned it down. And eventually it ended up in the lap of the two tons. Um, 
and they decided that they would change their name for the song and um you know they ended up calling themselves the weather girls and the song was it's raining men now it's really interesting you know it's raining men has really become this like camp classic you know it's one of those dance songs that everybody knows and and you know a lot of people like make fun of it you know because it is a campy silly song but what's really what really makes it shine is even though martha and isora knew it was campy they sang it completely straight the video's silly but they they're singing it like it is a real like you know <laughs> they're singing it like a gospel song let's just be honest and that's what made that's what's made it kind of stay and it has sustained power and and it really helps solidify both Martha and Azora's voices as unique ones that people recognized because they 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 knew how to belt a dance song they knew how to really make that style work and not all singers can can make can do that you know it takes a big voice to overcome big music and these women could do it and you know and it's raining men has the staying power because it was so was saying so well and you know it was nominated for a grammy uh, you know um didn't win but it was nominated so that is you know a big thing and you know they you know and, and you know the weather girls they you know they just stuck with the name cuz um after that success and um they you know had an album called success with some singles None of it's really um, hit the charts, though. Their Christmas song, Dear Santa, Bring Me a Man This Christmas, is, to me, one of the one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. Um, once again, very campy, but saying straight, and gotta gotta love it. Uh, the video is fantastic. If you've not seen it, go check it out. But, um, but then, you know, the, they had some success, but eventually Martha made the decision to move on from, from the weather girls. Um, and you know, in 1986, um, uh, Martha released her first solo song, um, you know, called, um, uh, breaking the ice. Um, and then, you know, they, um, Martha started doing session work. She sang background vocals for Aretha Franklin, uh, both on Free, Freeway of Love and Who's Zooming Who, um, you know, really kind of doing that. And at this point, you know, Martha's really pushing her solo career, but she has to pay bills. So she starts recording demos for other artists. And this is where the story really starts for how Martha changed the music industry. 
1989, uh, Martha Wash recorded a a demo for a producer she knew named David Cole. Um, and the song that she, the demo she did was a song called You're My One and Only True Love. Um, and, you know, straight demo work, you know, demo demos have to be recorded so artists can pick up, you know, demo work is, you know, solid, solid um, work, especially for, you know, artists that are just trying to get to know more people in the industry. Recording demos is a good way to kind of meet more people and get your voice heard, even if you, you know, you may not be the one that sings on that, you know, that particular song. But what happened in with You're My One and Only True Love is this song was given to the group Seduction. Now, Seduction had a big hit with a song called, you know, um, It Takes Two to make the, you know, um, to make your thing go right. Um, you know, if you're familiar with RuPaul's Drag Race, Michelle Visage talks about her time in Seduction. That was the group she was in. But what happened is David Cole put um, You're My One and Only True Love on their album, but kept Martha's lead vocal for the demo and instead just filled in background vocals with the group group members of Seduction. So, and it was the second single from the album. So the first single was recorded by the Seduction Girls, but the second single lead vocalist was Martha Wash and she wasn't credited. And instead it was the Seduction Girls that were credited. And, you know, yeah, he, he, edited the vocals a little bit to try to make Martha's voice not as evident, but Martha has a distinctive voice as I've talked about people in the industry knew Martha's voice at that point. She'd been recording for over 10 years. She had her first number one dance hit in 1978 and this was 1989 you know, yeah, she was background vocal in that song, but her voice was still distinctive. She is part of one of the biggest, you know, camp classics of all time from 1982. And you're going to try to hide her voice, <laughs> you know? And it's just kind of a really weird thing that happened. And, you know, Martha ended up suing. And... um filed lawsuit not only against uh, David Cole and Robert Clavillis, who was the um, the other producer that was part of seduc the seduction thing, but also the um, record label, A&M Records at the time. And they ended up you know, settling out of court in late 1990, so the next year. So that was the first thing that happened the second one once again let's 
let's go back to you know the summer of 1989 um you know martha saying um was recruited to sing session singer on some demos uh, she ended up recording six demos in five days for an italian house music group um that eventually became the group known as black box now you know martha was re- recruited to sing these demos and was given a flat fee you know for to do them and you know later on in december 1989 you know this is merely three months after the september 1989 release of you're my one only true love with her vocals um black box released i don't know anybody else with martha sinking the lead vocals but with a skinny black woman lip syncing to the, the vocals um you know and you know martha was still reeling from the first instant that this happened and here just three months after the that one happened it happened again and then you know the very next uh several months down the road in i guess you know probably summer 1990 um you know martha talks about you know she was she was at a hotel in Los Angeles. She was angry about what's all that happened. And, you know, she was trying to kind of just relax and get ready for a show that night. And she was channel surfing and she stumbled across a new music video, another one by black box. And it's another demo she recorded. And once again, she sees this skinny, black woman which is a french model named katrine queenall um lip syncing to her vocals again and this one was the song everybody everybody which was another big hit and you know <laughs> and she she says that she said to herself i don't believe this shit is happening again and she called her manager and She's, she said, I just heard myself on TV in a video. And the manager said, again? <laughs> it's like, you know, it just happened, uh, you know, again. And then on top of this, you know, she had the seduction thing. She had the black box thing. And then few months after that black box thing in November, 1990, uh, CNC music factory released their debut single going to make you sweat. Everybody dance. Now everybody knows that voice. Everybody dance. Now <laughs> that's once again, Martha wash who had recorded demo vocals for CNC music factory, uh, which was David Cole and Robert Clavillis, the same ones from the seduction thing. And once again, there's a music video with a skinny black woman lip syncing 
over her vocals. And it's like, once again, no credit. She was given a flat fee for the for the vocals, so she's not getting any residuals. She's not getting any any royalties. She's not, you know, she's not getting any attention. And you have these these woman, you know, these skinny black women lip syncing for a large black woman. And it's like, you know, imagine how that would feel. It's like you you were bullied all growing up because you were a large, large black girl. And here you are, a large black woman who's had success on the charts, who's had hits, and now you're being replaced in images. And you know, how did that make you feel? How would that make you feel? I mean, that just had had to, you know, to kill, you know. So once again, Martha filed suit first against uh, Black Box and RCA Records. Um, RCA Records settled really fast. I mean, like she filed suit in September 1990. They settled in December 1990 and they gave her a subs uh, according to her they gave her a substantial financial fee they signed her to a, a recording contract they financed a national tour for her to go around the US and they re re-released the album with her on credited in the album and also in the future singles which Black Boss continued to release singles at, after that Featuring her vocals, but at least now she's getting credit, um, was Strike It Up, Fantasy, and Open Your Eyes, which are also fairly good hits in the dance charts. Now, the new lawsuit against CNC Music Factory, where the seduction lawsuit was settled in December 1990, the one against CNC Music Factory drag on until 1994. Um, you know, and it just took took a very long time and and it's like it's you know just think about how that would feel and have all this all this work you've done all this this development of your voice and here's the thing i've talked about martha has a distinctive voice everybody in the music industry knew it was her when they heard the songs, she was getting calls from people as like, and they wanted to talk to about the new single and because they knew it was her voice, but she's not involved. She's not on the credits. You know, it's like, it's, it's such a, a unique and weird and sad and horrible thing that she went through. But you know what? She fought back. And she won. She won all the lawsuits and, you know, was given, um, you know, large financial settlements. She was given, you know, black royalties as far as we are told. Um, and, you know, and even <laughs> after the um, lawsuit was settled on the CNC Music Factory one, Sony Records actually called MTV and said, hey, we want to add additional credit 
to the um, music video saying that Martha Wash was the vocals and Zelma Davis was the who lip synced and CNC Music Factory for her was the visualization. Now, the thing that that kind of hurts in this situation because Zel- Zelma Davis kind of got the short end of the stick because Zelma had a good voice. She sang on other CNC Music Factory songs, even ones that I really like, like Just a Touch of Love. Um, but she was, you know, kind of tossed aside in this whole situation, which I, I hate that. And I hate that Robert Clavillis and David Cole did that. Um, but, you know, Martha didn't, you know, she, she, her fight really changed how people looked at vocalists and session musicians and, and thing, you know, and, and those type of things. And she really caused a kind of reckoning within the music industry of how, how they, the, the record labels and the producers and everybody treated you know, session singers and background singers and demo singers and really made them confront how they treated them, but also how they treated larger women like Martha, Um, you know, because there was, you know, there was comments made. It's like, well, you know, no one wants to see a big black woman. In fact, Freedom Williams from uh, CNC Music Factory, who is the rapper, you know, the one who rapped on, you know, things that make you go, hmm, and things like that. Um, you know, he made a comment. It's like, who would you rather look at, Zelma or Martha? And it's, they're both beautiful in their own way. So, you know, yeah, Zelma's probably more closer to the quote unquote standard of beauty, but. Martha's just as beautiful in her own way and just not even in her own way. She's just beautiful. And, you know, and she has a unique gift and that should be celebrated. And it shouldn't be taken away from her and given to somebody else just because you don't like the way she looks. So this, this whole thing, you know, really kind of, started this whole introspective in, in, in the music industry and they're still fighting it to this day. Now I talked about the stuff that Martha was dealing with, but other things that were happening in the music industry also did have an impact on some of the things that, that, you know, Martha was pushing it because the whole scandal behind Millie Vanilli happened around the same time. And if you're not familiar with the Millie Vanilli scandal, um, briefly, you know, these music producers put together this group of session musicians to record some songs that they had written. And they didn't feel the session musicians were marketable. So they hired two young men uh, to basically be the front people of the group and they would lip sync wherever they went. Um, 
to recordings and it was exposed and that alongside what happened with black box um you know it actually caused um people to uh you know um it caused a lot of uh consumers and music consumers to actually sue the record companies for you know false advertising and fraud for you know what happened with black box and Millie vanilli um you know and that really um really f- kind of shifted how things did and you you then had federal legislation come along that required crediting of of all um you know of all musicians on a uh on a recording which you know that should have been happening anyway but you know the music industry was the music industry and they were doing the things that they did they were doing and you know and this this whole con, you know back-to-back scandals and and actually you know having a recognized person that's fighting and talking about what happened to her really really got things moving and really got made things change and that is that is really and um, something we're we can very much thank Martha for. So, what happened with Martha after she won her lawsuits? Well, as I mentioned, part of her settlement with RCA, um, they actually gave her a recording contract, and um, in 1993 she released her first solo album, and it had. Um, you know, some really big dance hits. Um, one of which is to me a dance classic and, um, you know, it, um, really is one that, um, could be part of like a mantra playlist, that kind of thing. It's a song called carry on. Um, and, it's just a fantastic song, wonderful song. And um, if you haven't heard it before, look it up. Um, you know, she also had another number one dance song from that first album, Give It To You, um, you know, and some other, you know, pretty decent uh, hits. Um, you know, and she just continued to record. And, um, and back in, and then in 1994, showing that, you know, Martha – is a uh, a lot more forgiving than a lot of other people. Maybe um, she reteamed with CNC Music Factory, and um, you know CNC Music Factory asked her to come and record um, with them again, and she did. And uh, she sang um, on the song uh, "Do You Want to Get Funky," uh, which hit number one on the dance chart. Um, top 40 billboard 100 um she's also featured on a couple other songs on the album and actually uh toured with them a little bit 
Um, that album was Anything Goes. Um, unfortunately, CNC Music Factory um, uh, disbanded when David Cole died of AIDS in 1995. Um, but, you know, there was, there was that um, Martha did have that chance to kind of reconcile with David um, and kind of get uh, back to where they needed to be. Um, you know, she kept recording uh, other songs. She did a new version of It's Raining Men. Um, this one with uh, RuPaul instead of um, Isora. Um, you know, and then, you know, just um, contributed vocals to, you know, um, dance singles, um, you know, by numerous other artists and, you know, still it's very active and, and, um, in philanthropy and in gay rights and just, just there and just, just really being one of those artists that, you know, I don't really know anybody who says anything bad with. There's very few artists that, you really don't hear people speak ill of and Dolly Parton's one and Martha Wash is another. Um, and you know, Martha Wash has had, had 15 number one dance singles. Um, you know, she's definitely, you know, she's been called the queen of club, club land. You know, she has one of those instantly recognizable voices once you know who who it is and who she is and you've heard it um you know and she's she's just a great singer a great artist and really made the world better with the things that she did and you know not just her activism but you know with also the you know the fact that she fought for her rights and her image and, and, and for people like her, you know, it says a lot when you have someone who is a larger woman, like, like Martha, that actually is embraced and loved. And, you know, and I, and I don't, I don't want to say that some artists wouldn't have had the chance if Martha hadn't done what she had done, but you, you know, you look at some of the, the artists that may not be your conventionally attractive people that came along in the, you know, nineties and two thousands. I do think some of them were given a chance because the record labels wanted at that time to be authentic, to be real and to, to prove to people that it wasn't all about image. We're also looking for artistry, you know, and I'm not going to name any artists, but you could probably think of some that would fall under that category, you know, that came along and, basically any, any of the different things, um, different genres. Um, but a lot, I, I really attribute a lot of that to Martha and, and her, her fight, uh, to make things, um, 
more equitable and make sure make sure she was recognized for her contributions and by by her doing that allowing other people to be recognized for their contributions hello and welcome back to the tricky notes podcast this is your host trick and i am back to you this week with a historical notes episode and this historical notes episode is a little bit special because it will be mixed with an artist spotlight because I am going to be talking about the woman who changed how the music industry operates. And this is a woman who may not be a household name for most people, um, but if you are a club goer, or if you were alive in the 80s or went to clubs in the 90s, you have heard this woman's voice. Uh, and, you know, and I'm talking about Martha Wash. And Martha Wash has a very distinctive voice, a very unique voice. No one sings like her, in my opinion. And I believe that's an opinion held by most. Um, but Martha Wash really changed how the industry operates. In fact, even inspired federal legislation because of what happened to her. So, so let's just get into it. <laughs> 